Rabbi Chaim Ram Shashak, if I'm saying his name right, is often credited for uh, coming up with this allegory. But really, this is an allegory that has uh, transcended many different cultures across many different countries, from Israel all the way over to China. And, and, and when I explain the allegory to you, you can see how it might fit in what details might be different in different cultures, but it's known as the allegory of the spoons, where something along the lines of man uh, requested from God, requested God to get a glimpse of heaven and hell, and God accommodated him and ushered him in just to be able to see a view of what hell was like first. And he saw a scene of uh, people surrounding a pot, and they all had long spoons fastened to their hands. And the spoons were long enough that they could reach into the pot. But this view of hell, these people were emaciated. Their eyes were sunken. Their cheeks were sunken. Their lips were drawn back. um, They were dark. They were bony. These were people that were living in a perpetual state of starvation. And the man was able to look and discern that even though their spoons were long enough to reach the pot... Because they were fastened to their hands, the spoons were too long where they couldn't reach their own mouths. And so they were stuck in this perpetual state of starvation. And then, as the allegory goes, God ushered the man up to heaven and he saw a similar scene where people were sitting around a pot. They too had spoons attached to their hands. And, uh, but these people were different. Their faces were bright. Their skin was bright. Their smiles were broad. They were plump and they were happy. And the man said, I don't understand the difference. And in the allegory, God said to him, these are people that have figured out how to feed each other. And as we go through this series, House Rules, I ask you, what does your house better resemble? Which dinner party does your house most look like? The starving dinner party or the dinner party that was enjoying the food before them and had learned to serve each other? The house rules that we're going over from Colossians chapter 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4 and verse 1. The house rules, when properly received from God and when adhered to in the home, will train us to feed each other, to build each other up, to bring the best out of each other. And... We, this morning, and with that in mind, are on rule number four, which we find in verse 21. The fourth rule is going to be the rule encourage. Each rule is one word. Each word is a verb. Each person in the household is responsible to do this, even though different people are brought out to kind of take the lead, and particular people are addressed in this passage. But let's look at verse 21, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And for the second time now, fathers are addressed in the home. Men, uh, in many ways, you set the tone in your house. And you take the lead. And you're not, that doesn't mean you're the center of the house. A lot of men go astray because they try to make themselves the center of the house. But the second time now, men specifically are addressed Not to provoke your children this time, lest they become discouraged. You set the tone. If you're childish, that's going to be the tone that your house is going to take. If you are lazy, if you are a complainer, if you are angry, if you are spiritually lethargic, 
You know which direction your family is going to go. And oftentimes, just in the many years that I've been a pastor, I've seen this again and again. Men, if you are, the, if you are spiritually lethargic, oftentimes your wife is pulling uphill, uphill to try to lead that family spiritually because you are not doing what you should be doing. And you don't want to be working against your wife. You don't want your wife to be carrying the load. It's teamwork. You need to be on the same page. And I think this is why that the fathers are again addressed. But in our households, we are all responsible for and obligated to each of these rules. The first rule was submit, and then love, and then obey, and now encourage. We submit to each other. We obey Jesus Christ and those who we need to obey. Uh, we love everyone. And here we're going to see encourage. Can I, can I exhort you to identify what household you belong to? Um, obviously, your family unit, that's an easy household, but not everyone has a traditional family unit. And that's not the only household that I have in mind when we're thinking about, um, when we're thinking about these household rules. But maybe your small group is your household. This church definitely is your household. Uh, you have a ministry, perhaps in the church, perhaps out of the church. That would be included in your household. Whatever context you have, relationships, regular relationships, these rules need to be in place. And so the fourth rule is to encourage. And because it's not obvious, let me kind of retrace my steps here on, in the word study that led me to land on the word encourage for um, this fourth rule. So the first one you see up there is Colossians 3.21. The word that I honed in on was provoke. That interested me. Fathers, do not provoke your children. The word provoke means literally to irritate, to exasperate, to agitate. How many of you men whose children are already out of the house can look back and say, Oh, I wish... I've been less irritated with my children. I wish I'd agitated them less. Listen, we're a family here. We have fathers among us and spiritual mothers among us. And if you're one of those fathers, children are already out of the house, don't let your failure stop you from coming alongside some of us younger fathers and encouraging us. Hey, the time is short. They're going to be out of the house before you know it. You can't be agitating them all the time. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But when you encourage your children more than you exasperate your children, it's going to make a huge difference. So as a younger father, I invite you older fathers to come alongside of us. Help us in this. But that word, I, I, I use a, a Strong's Dictionary, and you have online resources where you can use to find out what that word provoke. Is that used anywhere else? Is that Greek word used anywhere else in the New Testament? And it's used in one other place. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2. Just a few pages back. I, I'll turn there. You don't have to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2, at the end of the verse, it says... He's speaking to the Corinthians about the example that they set as a church and that they were saving up money to give to a worthy cause. But listen to what he says. He says, you're, and he's talking about everyone in the area has heard about their sacrifice and their preparedness. And he says, your zeal has stirred up most of them. Stirred up. That's the exact same word that's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 2, it's the same word that's used in Colossians 
chapter 3 and verse 21. So here, it's the same word, but it's used in a different way. It's used in a positive sense. To positively incite, to stimulate, to arouse out of lethargy, one way or another. And so you have two sides to that same word. Negatively provoking or positively stirring someone up. And, you know, I'm a picture guy, so I think... Fathers, and just in whatever role you are, maybe not fathers, mothers too, children, anyone in the household, you're either poking or you're cheering on. Poking, poking the bear. You're poking, agitating, needling. There's some people that are just, man, they are skilled at knowing how to get the worst out of somebody else. You probably know someone like that. Maybe it's the same person I'm thinking of. But some people are really good at needling. That's the provoke. But the cheering on, the stirring up, the motivating. They say, you can do it. Hey, don't be discouraged. Keep on going. We need more stir-uppers in the household of God. Uh, We need the encouragement. So as I was thinking about these two words, provoke and stir up, the same word used in two different senses, the word stir up, I remember. I'm like, man, you know, there's some other verses I know that use that word stir up. I don't know if you can think of any of them, but I was trying to think, man, maybe it's even the word provoke. I can't remember. I thought I remember a verse that said to provoke one another to love and good works. And I searched it out, and it was Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. It's the same English word, not the same Greek word, but I trust my English translation, and you should too. You don't need to know Greek to be able to study the Word of God. And it's the same idea. And I remembered in, in the ESV, as I looked it up, it uses the word stir up, to stir one another up to love and good works. And, uh, but in the King James Version, what I memorized as a kid, it said to provoke one another to love and good works. So I knew I must be somewhat on the right trail because it uses both those words in a different translation. But again, let me just turn there really quickly. Hebrews chapter um, 10, verse 24. Listen to what Paul says. Um, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some, even back then, even in the first century of the church. Paul was having problems with people that were neglecting the meeting together of the saints. But he says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of... Of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here he's saying we need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. We need to constantly be encouraging each other to love, constantly stirring each other up, cheering each other on to good works. And part of that takes place by not neglecting to meet together. This is important. We offer it online. Live. I don't know how I feel about that. To be honest, just to be transparent, I don't know exactly how I feel about that. I got I got some sick kids today, and a sick parent too, and so they're probably at home watching it. So that's that's good. But it's not the same as this. It's not the same as seeing each other's faces. It's not the same as worshiping together. Sometimes the most important thing that happens on a Sunday morning takes place in the hall. When you're talking to someone else one-on-one, not anything that happens up here on the stage. Sometimes it's a quiet moment where you're praying by yourself. We cannot encourage each other if we're not being with each other. We can't provoke good works and love out of each other from a distance. We've got to be close to each other. 
Um, and I, maybe, I don't know. Now, I'm going to say this. Give me, extend me grace, please. This isn't coming from the Lord. This is from Ryan. Not Pastor Ryan. This is coming from Ryan. Okay? So, I don't know. Maybe I'll get me in trouble. But here, here's my feelings on this. You know, COVID is, there's good reason to be careful. Um, but if you're going to work, and you're going to the grocery store, if you've gone out to eat, if you are doing anything social, well, you've kind of removed the reasons why you want to come here. If, if, you're good, if you can go there, you can come here. And I would argue this is more important than all of that. I knew that going into COVID, this would be one of the dangers, that people are going to get used to not coming. And we have to accommodate for those that can't come. And that it's just going to, they're going to get used to it. Because spiritual inertia is a real thing. And if you start slowing down, it's hard to speed back up. If you get used to being distant, it's hard to get back together again. That's just me. Back to Pastor Ryan here. Let's go back to the Word of God. Um, where were we at? Oh yeah, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Provoking, encouraging each other to love and good works. The word there in the Greek is the idea to, and I saw this, I think, in different translations either, so I shouldn't even say it in the Greek, but to motivate or to spur each other on. Like you're riding a horse, you got to spur it on. Faster, faster, don't give up, don't stop. So that was one of the stirs that I knew was in the, in the English translation, but I knew there was another one too, and I knew that was in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, where it says to stir up the gifts. I think the King James again says to stir up the gifts that are in you, the gift of God that is in you. Paul is commanding Timothy to stir up that gift that is in you. And in the ESV, they use another word, it's probably a little more accurate, it says to fan into flame. It means to bring the fire to life, to rekindle it, to revive it, to excite it, to bring back what is smoldering. Fathers in your household, everybody in the household of God, whatever household you're a part of, you've got to recognize some people are just, they're smoldering. They've lost some zeal that they once had. And you need to come in here, you need to blow on that fire, fan it back into life. Everyone has ups and downs. The trick is, in the body of Christ, those of us that are up, encourage those that are down. Because one day you're going to be down and you're going to need somebody else to bring you up. And in this context, in 2 Timothy 1.6, it's fanning the gift of God. Everyone has a gift. Fathers, do you know what your children's gifts are? That's really important. But everyone has a gift. Everyone has a contribution in this church. Everyone has a unique way that you serve this church. Everyone has a unique way that God's going to use you in this community. And it's important to encourage each other to use their gifts. Sometimes a person has a hard time identifying their own giftedness. But someone else can see it in you and say, Hey, have you ever thought about doing this? Or, you know what, I know you're good at this. Or even just if someone's gift was a blessing to you, to thank them. Just thank you. Thank you for being used by God on my behalf. You encouraged me. That's so important in the house of God. And and like I said, fathers, do you know what your children's gift are? Um... And it's not baseball, it's not band, it's not any one of those things. That's good, that's the kind of giftedness that people can have. But what Paul was talking about in 2 Timothy was spiritual giftedness. So let's say your kid is good at baseball. What are the underlying spiritual qualifications that are making him good? Maybe humility, endurance. Maybe your child's a natural leader. You need to spot those things, call them out. 
fan into flame. Help mature them so they're not a bad leader, they're a good leader. All those spiritual qualities that you see in your children and that we see in one another, we need to fan those. We need to encourage them. And then there was one more passage in 2 Peter where I saw this word used. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. And also um, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. But here we see another kind of idea that comes out, that surfaces. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, Peter says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. By way of reminder. You stir each other up by reminding them of things that they already know. And Peter talks about this in chapter 1 and verse uh, 12, where he says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. How many times do we need to be reminded of something we already know? But it's helpful for another believer to come alongside us. Remind us, oh yeah, that's right. This world is not my own. I knew that, I knew that, I just needed reminding. I, I, I know that. I know it is the flesh is, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thank you for reminding me of that. I don't need to be too hard on myself. Or whatever the spiritual truth may be, Repentance, confession, hope, whatever it is. We need people to come alongside us and remind us. And that's a way to encourage, to stir up. So we have a, a smattering of verses here following kind of hunches and, and some scriptural study with resources that you have at your disposal. We're starting to find kind of the edges of our study and, and it's beginning to st- take shape. And that's why the rule is, rule number four is, encourage. And you know, in, in Colossians chapter 3 here, it says, if you don't, if you provoke your children, if you fail, they're going to be discouraged. So I thought, well, let's look at that. Did you know the word discourage is not used, I couldn't find anywhere else in the New Testament. Nowhere else. But the word encourage is used at least 19 times in the New Testament. In 19 times in the New Testament, we see that encouragement is commanded, it's demonstrated, it's recorded. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, you, you can just look at the other page there and see. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged. That tells us Paul worked at encouragement. Paul labored to encourage. He says, I Labored. I worked. I struggled for it. What's something that you really work hard at? What's something that you really pour yourself into? Is encouragement on that list? Now, I some of you may know, probably heard when some of you that I was in a diet contest this last thirty days. It was me and Zach Setzer and my dad, and we're going to see who can lose the most weight in thirty days. And I failed miserably. I lost one point four pounds. That was it. Most of that was probably his beard I shaved off even. So uh, how, how much was I working at? Not very much at all. Not very much at all. Uh, my dad, how much was he working at it? Whew, there was a lot of days that he ate nothing but eggs. He just was eating, you know, hard-boiled eggs. He worked really hard. He's, he went to the hospital last night and had a kidney stone. And he's not here with us this morning. So 
Let that be a warning to those of you that want to try to lose too much weight. But, but he worked hard at it. He worked hard at it. How hard do you work at encouragement? Are there other things that you work harder at than encouragement? Maybe, again, I'm trying to address the church as a whole and fathers particularly. Maybe there's just certain things that you just want to see developed in your children so badly. Certain habits you want to see them kick. Listen, as badly as you want those things, you need to work twice as, twice as hard at encouraging your children. We need to labor like Paul did at encouraging one another. And so, you know, I, I did this word study and then just kind of let it simmer for the week. And then I came up with an outline for the sermon today. So in the last ten minutes here, we'll do the sermon, okay? Three points. It's a one, two, three sermon outline. So that means the first point is one something, the second point is two things, and then the third point is three things. So the first one is this. One uh, principle of truth, one guiding principle. One guiding principle is we just kind of, I, I, I like to take what I've learned and kind of wrap it up in a bow, make it applicable. So here it is. One guiding principle. And I get this from Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. We'll put it on the board, but this is something you need to write down and memorize. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Listen, of all the rules, this number four rule centers mostly on how you speak to other people. And you need to know that this is a truism that death and life are in the power of your tongue. It doesn't say that positive and negative perspectives are in the power of the tongue. No, no, no. It says death and life. That's serious. I've talked to men that said, you know what? 67 years later, I still remember that harsh word my father told me when I was just trying to help him. Fathers, what words do you want your kids to remember 67 years later? I've talked to grown men. Man, they were built like an NFL linebacker, strong as an oak, weeping in front of me. Because as a child, their father said, you're never going to amount to anything. You're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. And guess where I was speaking to this man? In prison. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. How you speak to people matters greatly. You're either going to be building them up, tearing them down. And it says, those who love it will eat its fruit. That's kind of a little confusing. Here's what I think, here's what I think that's saying. Those who use the words are going to eat the fruit of their words. So, whichever words you choose to use, you must abide by the consequences thereof. You have no other choice. So don't complain when your words come back on you in the way that you've given them. If the result of how you treat your children affect your relationship, you can't blame anyone but yourself. This is God's way of saying, listen, you are making your bed and I guarantee you will sleep in it. So let's make a good bed. Let's make a comfortable home. Let's make an encouraging church. Whatever ministry you're in. Let people come in and say, wow, I left encouraged. I came in dry and I left full. We need to be encouraging. Um, your word set the tone for your household. Furthermore, not only is there one guiding principle here, the death and life are in the power of the tongue, but following the verbiage from our word study, I'd say there are two directions to stir. You get to choose. Which direction are you going to stir? You can stir the one direction where you're building up 
you're motivating, you're rousing, you're exciting, you're inspiring other people. Or you can choose to stir the other way. Wherein you are irritated and irritating to others. You can choose to stir the way where you are exasperated and it's everyone's fault but your own. You can stir in the direction where the people in your household are an annoyance and an interference standing between you and the relaxation you have selfishly convinced yourself you so desperately deserve rather than the people in your household being the beneficiaries of the overflow of the love and the growth that you are experiencing in Christ. Let me say that again. Listen, this is, this is true. The people in your house, you're either going to treat them like a, an annoyance or an interference, or you're going to treat them like the beneficiaries of the overflow of the love and growth that you are experiencing in Christ. And you can't draw water from a dry well. So if you're not regularly drawing from scriptures, if you're not sitting at Christ's feet, if you're not reflecting on God's word and putting it to practice in your life, you have nothing to give those in your household. You've got to come to it regularly. Sundays aren't enough. Sundays aren't enough. You've got to come to it on your own. Study it out for yourself so that you have overflow with which to nourish other people. And let me tell you this. If, if you are not intentional in this, then I know exactly which direction you're stirring. Because I know what human nature is. We fall back to the worst. Sin takes root and grows like a weed in our lives. You have to be intentional about being encouraging. So there's one principle, uh, one guiding principle, two directions to stir, and then three possible outcomes, depending on which direction you stir. And this is just from those verses that we looked at. First of all, right here in Colossians, one possible outcome, if you're stirring the wrong direction, you're going to discourage your children. You're going to discourage them. And that means they're not going to reach their full potential. Discouragement is a poison. You don't want your children. You don't want your children feeling like like they're not worth your time. You don't want your children feeling like a distraction to you. You don't want your children feeling like your iPad is more important to them, or I'm sorry, that your iPad is more important to you than it is to them than they are to you. You don't you don't want to discourage your children. It'll have effects for the rest of their life. There's so much power. What your child is going to accomplish in their lifetime after you're gone. You can either encourage or discourage. One possible outcome is discouragement. And that's specifically prohibited in rule number four. But there's two other outcomes. The one is motivating. Uh, Not just discouraging, but motivating. That's the possible outcome. That's what we saw in all those verses about stirring up the gifts that is in them. Having contagious zeal encouraging them, building them up, edifying them, training them, reminding them. All that is is in the motivating. And then the third one is reminding. reminding. The truth is that we already know. But it's good to be reminded again and again and again. I want to go back to 2 Peter. And just just listen to what Peter says here about the reminding. 2 Peter chapter 1. So, he says... 
I always want to remind you of these qualities. What qualities is he, is he talking about? If you go back to verse 3, he's talking about the divine power that has been granted to us. We're partakers of the divine nature. We are called to his glory and his excellence. And then he talks about we've escaped corruption of the world and we have supplemented faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. And he says these qualities are yours and they're increasing. And then just a few verses later he says... I intend always to remind you of these qualities. So these are the things that you need to be reminding each other of. People in your household, the people in this household. Reminding them of their virtue, their knowledge, their self-control. Building them up. It's things they already know, but they need to be reminded again. Listen to what Paul says, or what Peter says. He says, Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of of reminder. That's what we need to be doing in this home. And so I remind you, if Christ is to be preeminent in our homes and in our lives and in this church, we must all share the common Christian virtues of submission, of love, of obedience, and now of encouragement. 